Hello and welcome to the Living Life Differently podcast. We are the Mahojos. I'm Amy. And I'm Ali. And we live in a static caravan on a farm in South Wales with our son Ollie and our dog Dizzy. We're currently still on a year off together, waiting patiently to get going on a European campervan adventure. Not for long. We might be saying something different on the next episode. In the meantime, we decided to set up this podcast to share stories of women who are living life differently. Women who are doing things different to the norm. So if you're feeling a little stuck in life or need confidence to make some big changes, then keep listening as we have some brilliant guests. In this episode, we speak with Linda Wilmot, who quit her career in the civil service to buy and run a youth hostel in Cumbria in the UK. Listen as she tells us all about her decision to leave her career and how she decided to do something completely different. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Living Life Differently podcast. We're delighted today to have a lady with us called Linda Wilmot. Linda, welcome. Thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. It'd be great if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from originally, and the key thing is what you're doing in life right now. Okay, well, um, I'm originally from um, South Yorkshire, um, but 24 years ago, I met my now husband, Neil, and lived in Gloucester for 15 years. And um, we moved up to Alston in 2014 to own and run um, a youth hostel, which is situated directly on the Pennine Way. And it's predominantly a a backpacker's sort of cyclist um, hostel. And and that's the key thing, isn't it? So I think um, I came across your story via Twitter. And I think there was a lady on there asking about, you know, has anyone else kind of stopped stopped their current life and gone to live a completely new life somewhere else? And I saw your response to her and and I was really interested because I think you said you'd left a a long career in the civil service to to go and and buy and run this hostel. And I thought, wow, that's epic. Can you tell a bit about that? (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, as I say, I I worked for the civil service for um, 15 years and um, it started off, it was a lovely job, great job, really enjoyed it. But then, you know, sort of with also the red tape and bureaucracy, it just got more and more. And I was finding I was really stressed. Um, I mean, I could sort of tell sort of from my Facebook (laughs) posts that it was kind of like, oh, another bad day, another bad day. And I just thought, this is just not how to live. And um, in 2012, they um, were offering sort of voluntary exit schemes. And um, so obviously they put it out and sort of said, you know, would anybody like to take up this offer? And um, I put my hand up straight away. Uh, I knew I was um, sort of financially relatively secure. Um, My husband has his own business. So, you know, we were okay on that sense. And also I'd inherited a bit of money sort of a few years previously, which I'd put to one side because I knew I wanted to use this money to change my life. I had no idea how or where, and it just seemed as though fate was sort of just stepping in and sort of saying, look, you know, um, life is too short. You're 48, you know, you you need to sort of crack on and, and do something. So um, when, uh, when I put the... Um, uh, request in to join the voluntary exit um it was accepted and um so i had no regrets um but i didn't really know what i wanted to do i just knew i didn't want to go back to office work uh so i spent a few months uh just 
relaxing and just enjoying life. And um, and then I took up the opportunity to do six weeks uh, voluntary service with the Scottish Youth Hostel Association. And I travelled up to Stirling and worked there for six weeks. And it was just the most fantastic time. I really enjoyed the work. I, I realised I enjoyed meeting people and just hostel life, basically. Uh, my husband and I are both very, very keen walkers. So we'd stayed in hostels and um, so we knew sort of what, you know, what we expected from hostels and what we liked from hostels. So it kind of sort of sowed the seed of, of, of what I would like to do, but I didn't really think it was particularly possible. So um, I took a, a part-time job in a, um, it was a, a, a sort of a flea market antiques place sort of running the cafe for them. Um, it was only sort of a, 30 hours, no, sorry, not 30 hours a week, three hours a day, sorry. Um, and it was great. Again, as I say, interacting with the public. Um, but unfortunately, it just wasn't a living wage. So I thought, no, I, I really do need to sort of get real now and start, you know, looking for a job. Uh, and I applied for a few. I went and I had no interest whatsoever. <laughs> so consequently, I didn't come across the uh, in the interviews particularly well. Um, and I didn't get the job. <laughs> so um, I thought, right, I really, really need to sort of start thinking about what I do want to do. Um, and then I thought, well, how about, you know, sort of looking for a, a business to run? Um, so I, I was speaking with my sister, who was also sort of very disenchanted with her, her work. And um, it sort of started off as a bit of a joke at first. And we sort of, you know, we were looking for, for hostels. And... Um, but then it started to sort of get serious and we travelled up to look at one in Fort William. Um, as I say, it was a bit of a pipe dream, really. But I thought, well, you know, if you don't if you don't do it, you, you know, you're never going to sort of um, change your life. Um, so we travelled up to Fort William and had a look at a fantastic hostel there. Spectacular views. Uh, and it was just, yeah. We loved it, but then we thought, oh, Fort William, it's a little bit too far. And also the hostel accommodation for us to live in wasn't particularly um, right for us. So we sort of drew a line under that. And um, I mean, hostels don't exactly come on the market that often. Um, but just by chance, um, my sister found um, Alston Youth Hostel. We had no idea where Alston was. <laughs> we, we'd been to the Lake District, but we had no idea where this little town of Alston was. But we made an appointment with the owners. We travelled up and um, had a look round. And as I say, the weather was absolutely fantastic. The scenery was absolutely stunning. The hostel was very tired and very run down, but I could sort of see through that. Um, so... We spent a couple of days here having, having a look around, looking at the town of Alston and speaking to the owners who obviously wanted to know why we wanted to take on a, a hostel when we had no experience at all. But what we lacked in um, experience, we knew we'd got lots of um, skill sets that you need to run a hostel. Mm. Um, so we knew we could do it. Um, so we went back home 
and had a good think about it. In the meantime, we had already put our, host, uh, our house up for sale um, because we knew that we couldn't put any offers in until we knew that we were sort of uh, in an, a, a position to be able to move quickly. Right. Um, and whilst we were actually in Alston, somebody the, the estate agents phoned up and said that somebody was wanting to come and have a look round. Um, so we knew that, yep, this was happening. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just, um, I mean, there's so much there I'd really like to unpick because that, that sounds like an, an epic, almost whirlwind change from life in the civil service to the life that you're in now. Just going back to when you left the civil service, when the voluntary exit opportunity came, was it something you jumped at straight away or was it something you, you took your time with deciding? Because obviously a 15-year career is, is quite significant, isn't it? The, um, the voluntary exit... Um, they, they'd been offering it a few years and uh, the first time they offered it, I had to say no, because it was sort of just after we'd had sort of the financial um, crash. And um, I knew it wasn't right for me then, but when they offered it in 2012, uh, as I say, there was, there was no sort of hesitation. Um, and I just sort of said, yes, I think I, I, I knew that it was right for me. Um, because of the situation that I was in, as I say, financially. And as I say, it was just a case of I've, I've got to grab this now. So, yes, it was, it was a very easy decision to make in 2012. Yeah, that's good to hear. Because you, you mentioned, obviously, the financial security was there, but you also mentioned that the job had gone really stressful. So what did like working life look like then? Was it a case of really long hours was it not a very nice environment was it having an impact on your life outside of work uh well funnily enough the the, the hours no they weren't long at all not compared to what we're doing now um <laughs> but it was um it was just more the fact that I was sort of middle management and I was trying to keep my team happy and also the upper management happy um the bureaucracy um and just what the work was involved it was very controversial and, and very stressful um, and I was taking it home with me and as I say the, the biggest thing that I noticed was the fact that if we went away or, or you know after the weekend I was just dreading going back to work yeah. um, if I went on holiday I took my laptop home so that I could check all my emails before I got back to work because I knew the minute I stepped back through the office I was just going to get bombarded by Everything that had gone wrong whilst I was away, yeah. I had to always make sure that everything was in place before I went away. And as I say, the last four or five days of, of any sort of holiday were just spent worrying about going back to work. And um, I was uh, snappy. Um, I wouldn't say depressed, but, you know, sort of very emotional at times. Uh -huh. um, and as I say, it was uh, it, it just was just too much and I just thought no I, I just don't want to do this anymore. Yeah and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that situation and those feelings you know me as well in terms of previous previous roles where you get to kind of Sunday night and you're dreading going back in or you're thinking about the mountain of work that's ahead of you so you know it's great to hear that you had the opportunity of voluntary exit at the time and you had that the kind of safety net of the financial security as well but you also mentioned that you kind of you went into it and then it's like, OK, what am I going to do next? So I'm keen to know more about the, the Sterling Youth Hostel um, voluntary work. How, how did you get into that? Was that something you saw advertised or? Yes, yeah, so as I say, I, I, 
I fancied sort of doing some sort of voluntary work. Um, and I, I, I don't know sort of how I came across it, to be honest, but I was sort of surfing and I sort of noticed that they were, you know, you had opportunities to, to volunteer. I mean, I know you could do it for the um, English YHA as well. Um, so I thought, oh, right, well, you know, I've, I've got all this spare time. Um, it would be good to sort of just go away and do something, something different. Um, and I saw um, that you could sort of choose your hours and the length of time that you, you know, that you, you volunteered. So I just filled out the application form and sort of listed sort of, you know, sort of what I could offer. Um, and consequently, they came straight back and sort of said, yes, you, you sound like an ideal candidate. Um, so they, you know, sort of phoned me up and said, you know, uh, we'd like to send you to the Sterling Hostel. Um, and I thought, oh, great, you know, because that's sort of slap bang in the middle, sort of like near the Trossachs and, you know, fantastic walking country. Um, so I had a, a brief interview with the uh, the manager there and he said, you know, how long, how long would you like to um, come up? So I sort of said, well, six weeks would be would be great. Um, so that was it. I sort of um, obviously I made sure it was OK with the, my, my partner, Neil. And he said, yeah, just just go for it. Um, so yeah, so I traveled up and, um, it was just, it was just the most amazing experience. Um, in, in all my adult life, it, I've, I've never sort of had to sort of totally rely on myself. I've always been with somebody and all of a sudden I was on my own, making my own decisions. Um, and as I say, the work was just, just, just really, really good fun. So um, you'd left Neil behind for six weeks. Had you spent much time apart previously or, or was that? The no, <laughs> oh. no, no, we, we'd always been. Well, I say he, he had his own business and he often used to work away, which sort of, you know, made me feel not quite so guilty for going away um, myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, we'd never spent six weeks apart. Um, but as I say, it was it was just an ideal opportunity and he understood why I wanted to do it. So, you know, I, I went completely with his um, blessing. Um, and yeah, as I say, it just it just gave me that break between sort of a very stressful job yeah. and just gave me time to breathe. Um, and as I say, whilst I was up there, um, I had so much time off. I mean, you were only doing sort of 30 hours a week. Um, so in between sort of, you know, sort of doing everything in the hostel that the full-time members of staff were doing sort of greeting guests cleaning reception work cooking um I just sort of went out and and, and did lots of walking which was another sort of um revelation for myself as well because I'd never gone walking on my own and at first I was a little bit um nervous about doing it but then you know I realized I was perfectly safe and as I say it just enhanced the whole experience completely Oh, what a fantastic opportunity. It sounds like that was a real eye-opener for you personally on, on lots of levels. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It, it made me realise um, that I could do whatever I put my mind to. Um, it also gave me a massive confidence boost um, because even though um, I, when I was working for the civil service, obviously I was interacting with the public and my staff and everything, I was still sort of quite shy um, but working for the um, for in Stirling at the at the hostel sort of made me um, talk to strangers quite easily. And when I was out walking, um, I found myself striking up conversations with with other people that I was just passing. And I thought, wow, where's this confidence come from? 
Um, and obviously that sort of um, helps me enormously with running this uh, Alston Youth Hostel because obviously you're, you know, you're a front facing person and interacting with the guests is just the be all and end all. Yeah. So yes, it was um, it was a very good um, learning curve. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you you almost empowered yourself without realizing that was actually going to happen. Was there a seed sown when you're at Sterling in terms of you know thing? You, you mentioned earlier about a pipe dream. So where did the seed sow for that pipe dream? Was it while you're at Sterling thinking about? I, I think so. Yes. Um, I'd, I'd often sort of thought about, you know, what, what it would be like to to run a hostel. But as I say, it wasn't until actually sort of going up to Stirling that I thought, yes, this is something that I could do. But I, I hadn't realised that, you know, there were so many sort of independent hostels out there. I just assumed that they were all sort of YHA or, you know, Scottish hostels and everything. But then, as I say, I realised that, you know, that there were lots of people that did own hostels. Um, and it was just sort of, I knew we could sort of combine uh something that we loved we knew we wanted to be in a rural place and preferably sort of somewhere where it would be attracting sort of walking um you know people doing activities as opposed to sort of like holiday makers as such um which sterling definitely was i mean i mean it was very much a sort of a touristy place but you also had your sort of your outdoor sort of um, people as well and as i say it just sort of lodged something in my brain um that then sort of set the wheels in motion for um, as I say, when I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and I thought, well, you know, let's 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 explore this further, <laughs> which which we did. And um, as I say, it was a little bit of a whirlwind. I mean, it was done from March two thousand thirteen um, through to sort of September two thousand and fourteen. Um, you know, leaving a, a, a full time job to all of a sudden owning your own hostel. So. <laughs> It is quite a turnaround. You mentioned your sister and obviously Neil. So did did they take much persuading in terms of, you know, you, you started to grow this idea and thinking that it might be possible and started looking for places, you know, did they kind of jump on board straight away or were they a bit, a bit more reserved? Um, well, poor old Neil. <laughs> he kind of sort of got, got swept along with me and my sister sort of, you know, sort of sat around sort of, you know, scanning the internet, looking for places to, to look at and buy. Um, and he sort of just sort of carried on and thought, oh, OK, you know, well, I'll leave you to it. And then but but yes, but once we'd sort of um, realised that, it, you know, this was something that was possible, I mean, his business was a, is a very physical uh, job and as I say we knew we weren't getting any younger and he was getting more and more tired of, of working away and um, trying to secure contracts and, and you know he realised he was ready for a change as well um, but I wouldn't exactly say he was fully on board at first but as I say when once we sort of you know got the wheels definitely in motion he was more than happy to um, go along with it my sister, again, as I say, she was she was like me. She was very tired with her job, and um, as I say, it was just a, just something that we cooked up between us. We we couldn't have done it without my sister's help because, as I say, we pulled all our resources together, um, which enabled us to buy Alston without having to have a mortgage, which has been obviously a, a lifesaver, definitely with um, with recent you know yeah. the recent situation. Um, but we're, we're very much alike. We, you know, we get on really well and we knew that we could we could work together. 
so yeah so as I say the two of us were, were, were very much sort of the focus and as I say Neil sort of came along with the ride but now I mean as I say he's no regrets whatsoever either he you know he realizes that the move that we made was um definitely definitely the right move Oh, fantastic. And where do you even look to buy a hostel? Is there a particular website? Do you, do you jump on eBay? Like, where do you look? <laughs> well, we kind of like just started with like Google hostels for sale. <laughs> um, there, I mean, there are different places. I mean, if, if people don't advertise it sort of commercially on sort of like um, estate agents, you know, commercial estate agents, I can't, I honestly cannot remember how we found the one up in um, Edinburgh, uh, Edinburgh, sorry, Fort William. Um, and Alston was very ambiguous as well because um, the three people that owned it beforehand, I think two of them definitely wanted to sell and one of them wasn't so keen. So they didn't advertise it particularly well. And as I say, we just literally fell upon it. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, there's, you know, the independent hostel, um, they have an area where they'll, you know, they'll, members can put their hostels up for sale on there but no it is a case of sort of just a google search really. yeah, yeah and can you give um listeners a bit of an idea about the hostel network and, and who generally uses them you know especially if people are listening outside of the uk they might not be aware of you know what hostels are for where they are and kind of who the, the general clientele is Oh, wow. Um, hosteling is just so diverse. Um, you have your inner city hostels, uh, which will cater for, I mean, hostels are for everybody. I mean, even sort of the YHA and Scotland, uh, Scotland hostels, um, they will, you know, you, you don't have to be a member or anything like that. Anybody can stay in a hostel. Um, I mean, ours is very much, as I say, a rural hostel, which is designed really for, for sort of walkers and cyclists. But again, we have family stay. We have school groups. Um, so as I say, hosteling really is for, for everybody. Um, we have family groups that will hire the whole place. Uh, we have um, events that take place and hire the whole um, hostel, you know, to sort of run sort of um, walking holidays or cycling tours. Um, so yeah it's I mean we we have lots of overseas visitors as well and the hosteling network I mean there's the international hosteling network which basically covers the whole world um, so yeah it, it, it's 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 a huge network which as I say is so diverse um, I mean the 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 English YHA, I think they have about 140 hostels in their network, including us, even though we're independent, we actually franchise to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and same with the, uh, the the Scottish YHA, they also sort of have some um, I- uh, independent hostels amongst them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the independent hostel guide, uh, you go onto there and, as I say, you name it, they're, they're just in such unique locations as well as sort of city centres it's it, it really is a, a a terrific network yeah we've um, both amy and i have stayed in in different hostels at different times during our lives and different locations so i remember my very first ever youth hostel experience i think was in Llangollen on a school trip really wet windy you know <laughs> probably not the best first ever experience of a hostel because I just remember it being so wet and cold we were doing outdoor experiences and stuff um I think it was Langhoffelin but then you know as, as we've grown up and 
you know, adult adult adventures and stuff. We've stayed in city centre ones in Manchester and then, you know, out in, in you know, other ones in the Lake District and stuff like that. And it's it's really interesting. They're interesting little community hubs, I think, because they you meet people from all walks of life, don't you? Like you've you've alluded to people from different countries doing different things. It must be quite nice to to be around that hustle and bustle of people. It it is. Um, um I mean I remember one evening in particular, I sort of looked around um, the dining room and, and, you know, sort of people were sitting around and I realised we had somebody from New Zealand, Australia, Japan, um, Germany, uh, as well as all the English ones. And I thought, wow, <laughs> you've got a little uh, League of Nations going on in our hospital here. Um, yes, it, 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 it is fascinating. You meet some fascinating people um, and it, it just sort of really sort of um, brings people together. It's a very, very communal sort of way of, of, of uh, living and, and, and holidaying together. And you, you listen to people's experiences. It's, it is a, a terrific sort of um, environment to be in. So yeah, it's, it, it, hostels are, a lot of people have sort of preconceptions about what staying in a hostel is. And like you say, often it'll go back to sort of their school days where they remember sort of drafty dorms or sort of the older generation will remember the, the, the YHA where you had to do a job. Um, all accommodation was in shared dormitories, uh, lights that were out by 10 o'clock. Um, and you couldn't, you couldn't even drive to them. You had to walk or you had to cycle. Mm-hmm. But it, as I say, obviously, it's nothing like that now. I mean, you'll get on suites, there's private rooms, you know, there's internet. It's, it's, it's totally changed from what, what it used to be. But as I say, people who haven't stayed in hostels before, some of them can sort of be think, oh, you know, I, I'm not staying in a hostel and have, you know, sort of very sort of um, bad thoughts about what it's going to be like. Um, but then when they actually stay, uh, hopefully most of them, you know, they'll go away and realise that it's, it's, you know, it's it's not sort of cold water in the taps only. And <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it's very nice to be able to sort of turn around people's ideas of what staying in a hostel um, is like. Yeah. And and just in terms of Alston Hostel, give give us a bit of a picture of your location. Like what can you see out the window? What's in the in the vicinity? Because you're in you're in Cumbria, aren't you? We are. We are in the North Pennines side of Cumbria. So if you come up the M6, mm-hmm. most people will turn left and go to the Lake District, but the North Pennines is on the right. And we are, Alston is about a thousand feet above sea level and you approach it coming over the Hartside Pass, which is a, a famous um, road, which is very popular for motorbikes and, and um, uh, drivers. And Alston is about 20 miles from the nearest sort of town of Penrith, um, about 30 miles from Carlisle or Newcastle it's about 45 miles so we are literally stuck in the middle of the fells it's a very small community of only about 2,000 people and looking out of the windows all I can see are trees 
and fells and greenness. Um, And just below the hostel, we have the River South Tyne, which is, um, it joins up with the North Tyne about 15 miles away and becomes the Tyne River that eventually flows through Newcastle. So say we are incredibly rural and um, when it snows, we often get cut off because the roads going out will are very high roads, uh, particularly Hartside and the road that goes over to sort of Middleton in Teesdale mm. um, often get cut off in the snow. And as I say, 2018, when we had the famous East uh, Beast from the East, we were literally cut off for seven or more days because every road out of Alston was blocked. So it's it can be a very difficult, um, harsh life up here, but the beauty and the secluded envi- um, environment just makes it so relaxing and a complete contrast to this very sort of um, busy touristy side of Cumbria over in the Lake District. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and I think, I'm pretty sure I might have cycled over Heartside Pass. Is that on the coast-to-coast route, Whitehaven? That's right. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And we're about half halfway um so we tend to get a lot of groups that are doing it for charity and users as the base halfway yeah i seem to remember lots of switchbacks on the way up and then yes such a long downhill exhilarating downhill the other side absolutely brilliant. yes that's all coming back to yes that was in <laughs> the legs are still aching from that climb <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah we have we have a lot of people doing the coast to coast I would say it's probably about sort of 60% of our um, income is from people doing the coast to coast fantastic don't tell Amy because she's gone in the other room but I'll, I think we'll do that one day as a family so. <laughs> get yourself an electric bag I think that's the future <laughs> definitely just, just going back then to obviously you, you've, you've done your googling you've found uh, you've been to look at Fort William decided that wasn't for you then you've got your heart set on Alston how do you go around the kind of business decision of buying a hostel and, and becoming a business owner well again as I say it was all um, I mean we sort of sat down and, and wrote a business plan which ne- none of us had ever done before um, again we had to sort of google how do you write a business plan I knew what we wanted to do but you know sort of trying to sort of make it formal um, because obviously we had to have something to present to um, bank, not because we needed the money, you know, to buy the hostel. We knew we had the finances to do that, but obviously setting up business accounts, um, speaking to the, um, the the current owners, you know, they were able to sort of give us an insight into sort of what, uh, you know, what it involved. But it wasn't really until we actually took over that that's when, we really learned sort of, you know, what you had to do and sort of setting up new contracts for utilities. Everything had sort of gone from um, domestic um, utilities to suddenly business utilities, right. having to get um, uh, insurance, business insurance. Uh, it was just, it really was the most steepest learning curve um, from the, from day one when we when we took over. Up until then, as I say, we we sort of like bumbled along, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, but as I say, we, you know, we we had sort of got the skills to be able to know that we could do it, and also we had to sort of sign a contract with the YHA because, as I say, we were going to continue as as a, a franchise with them as the previous owners had. 
Um, so it was entering into sort of knowing how how they worked and, and taking up their systems um, as well. So um, yes, it was it was a lot of things that we had to take on board very very quickly. I bet. So you had a bit of a handover from the the you know the outgoing owners. What was what was it like when you were first left to your own devices? The, like, oh gosh, um, like swans swimming, I think. <laughs> We, we had to portray a very calm, very professional image to the guests as they were checking in that night. Because what it was, as I say, we moved in um, before the other owners, well, actually before the, hand, the, the, the hostel actually been sold, we moved in for a couple of days beforehand and sort of ran it sort of jointly with them. And it literally was a case of on the Monday, on the 1st of September, um, the previous owner sort of said, oh, right, our solicitor said, you know, that's it, it's now yours. Um, here you are, we're, we're going. <laughs> but obviously, as I say, she'd, we, knew, we knew who we were expecting that night. But um, but yes, we were sort of rabbits in the headlight. With, you know, we thought, like, wow, this is it. Um, so yes, it, it was quite scary at first. Um, but as I say, we, we soon sort of got into the swing of it. As I say, the main thing was just making sure that we had everything in place to make sure that the electricity wasn't suddenly cut off and the internet was working and that we, you know, we could sort of get into all the systems that we required to be able to, to see who was arriving apart from anything else. Um, so, yes, it was it was very scary. Um, but as I say, we, we, we muddled through and as I say, we, we put on a very good show to, to our very first guests. Um, but the following weekend was our first um, exclusive hire booking and we had a group arriving who we were catering for. I mean, previous jobs I had done catering, so I was very much the cook. Um, but then they sort of phoned and sort of said, oh, we've got an extra person coming and they're a vegan. Is that OK? And I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> I'd never had to cook a vegan meal before. Um, so there was little things like that that were sort of suddenly thrown at us, but um, you just had to sort of keep calm and carry on, basically. Yeah. What, how exciting, though, as well as what must have been petrifying. I, I can imagine that there was a part of you that was really excited about getting stuck into this new life in, you know, being a business owner and a hostel owner. Yes, yes, yes. Um, we We didn't really sort of think about too much about what we were. It was just a case of, well, we've sort of um, made our bed now when we just need to sort of crack on and make this work. Um, and I feel as though, you know, sort of seven, seven years on, we've, we've definitely, we've definitely made, a work, made it work. Uh, and we're very proud of what, what we've achieved and, and, you know, what we've got. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely paid off. Brilliant. And can you give us a bit of an idea about how, how big the property is? And, you know, what, what kind of rooms there are and stuff. And then what you do day to day, week to week, because you did allude to um, the fact that hours are very different. Working hours are very different now to what they were in the civil service. So give us a bit of a, a picture of what it's like. Yeah. Um, well, the hostel, we have seven bedrooms. We sleep a maximum of 30 people, uh, as I say, within seven rooms of different sizes. Um, the hostel just looks sort of like a big house, really. Um, and it's got a dining room and a, and a lounge and a self-catering kitchen for the guests. 
so they can um, cook for themselves if they wish. I mean, that's one of the benefits of hosteling is the fact that you can, you know, you can sort of come and prepare your own food to, to sort of save money. We have a, a lovely drying room for the uh, horrible wet weather sometimes that we get and uh, bike storage for, well, 23 plus bikes, because as I say, we've been on the coast to coast uh, route, having bike storage obviously is, is an essential thing that people look for. Um, our facilities in the bathrooms and toilets, they are shared. Um, we have four showers and then we have um, male and female toilets. As I say, we haven't gone down the ensuite route um, because we just feel as though we're a traditional hostel and what we've got works. Mm-hmm. Um, we live at the back of the hostel. Our accommodation is adjoined to it. So as I say, we are very much on, on the job. <laughs> um, so our commute in the morning is very short down the stairs and there we are. Um, our day-to-day um, job is uh, if we have breakfast to cook, um we're generally up sort of six, half past six in the morning, um, preparing the breakfast, which we tend to serve at either 7.30 or 8 o'clock. Uh, we lay everything out for the guests and then obviously we do a breakfast service. Um, as soon as that's finished, we then obviously have all the washing up to do and clearing up whilst the guests generally tend to sort of, you know, then sort of pack up and, and, and go. And they'll often sort of say, oh, is that it now? Feet up for the rest of the day. And we sort of smile sweetly and say, oh, if only. (laughs) Um, Because obviously, as soon as they've departed, we then have to sort of start stripping beds and cleaning. So that usually takes us up to one one o'clock-ish, two o'clock-ish. It depends on how many beds. If we've been completely full with 30-odd beds, then, as I say, it really can take us up to sort of two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, we also sort of do our own laundry if we haven't got that much. Otherwise, we we, we, we use a, a laundry service. Um, and obviously, all the bathrooms and toilets and everything have to be scrubbed and cleaned. And then it's probably an hour of paperwork getting um, everything ready for the next guests to arrive from five o'clock onwards. So we may have sort of three to four hours in the daytime to ourselves um, but that often can be taken up sort of going shopping for supplies. But if we haven't got anything particular to do, then we just put on our walking boots and we go out for a, a long or a short walk, depending on how much time that we've got so that we can get away, you know, and just get some fresh air and sort of uh, we find walking is a is a good stress buster. It, it helps you to sort of just refocus. Yeah. Uh, and then we're back usually sort of about sort of four o'clock ish, half past four. And it's sort of back on again, uh, checking in the guests, showing them round, um, taking their orders for breakfast. Um, and we're on duty till 10 o'clock, uh, which is when the reception closes. But sometimes we can still be on duty at 12 o'clock at night if we've got people doing the coast to coast that have severely underestimated how far it is and phone us up to say, oh, we're on our way. <laughs> so. Uh, so, yes, I mean, I have literally even had to check somebody in at two o'clock in the morning because they've got stuck on the motorway. Um, so, yeah, it's it, as I say, compared to sort of the hours that I did at the civil service. Yes, it, it literally is a 24 seven job. Yeah. Um, and that's why I say it's, it's a lifestyle choice as opposed to a job, really. Yeah. And in, and in terms of that lifestyle and I guess, you know, 
happiness and fulfillment is it is it what you were looking for is it what you were missing when you were you know when you took that voluntary exit yes um there's there's lots of elements about it that uh causes a lot of stress but not the same sort of stress and it's we feel sort of more in control um whereas the civil service it was it was pressure that was put upon you mm. um i would say to say that the difference here is obviously when you have sort of like the, the current covid situation i mean obviously that's been sort of quite stressful um and also when things go wrong um luckily neil's very sort of a handyman so he's been able to sort of sort an awful lot out and saved us an awful lot of money so I wouldn't say that running hostel is without um, pressure and without sort of worries, but um, I feel more fulfilled. Yeah. I feel as though I'm more in control of my life instead of somebody controlling controlling me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's a totally different environment. And I have found what I what what I was wanting to do and I feel as though we've done it now and we've succeeded and it's changed me completely as a person I, I don't think I could go back to um office life again it's 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 really not who I was um and this is definitely more suits my sort of personality that, that's good to hear in terms of the fulfillment and also the personal change as well that, that's come with that I think that you know that that adds another level to the, the story really isn't it you know it's not just about someone who's gone from a, a career into a business there's a lot more kind of personal and professional development in that what I'm wondering what what are the biggest challenges you faced um going into this new life that that perhaps you didn't expect um the hostel required a lot of money being spent on it which we hadn't really sort of um taken on board um so and also as i say you're never going to be a millionaire doing a, a job like this or owning a hostel because you know sometimes we thought we'd we'd bought the equivalent of the fourth bridge <laughs> you just get you just get one thing done and then something else would be required you know we we suddenly realised we needed a brand new roof, which, you know, was sort of like £18,000, you know, and nothing was sort of small. If something went wrong, it always seemed to require oodles amount of money. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 I would say the, the financial side of things, um, as I say, I was on a reasonable good wage with the civil service, whereas here <laughs> we actually sort of sat down and worked out what we were at, um, earning an hour um here and we thought wow okay so um probably about 10 pence an hour <laughs> really when we you know when we sort of broke it down um but but the the, the benefits outweigh the bad side yeah um and as I say we realized it wasn't it wasn't all about the money it was more sort of you know a, a, a totally different way of life um, but yeah, as I say, I would I would say the biggest downside has been the financial cost that we've had to um, to, to shell out to sort of get the hostel um, safe and secure, you know, for the next sort of five or ten years, really. And just on the flip side, then, you know, what what would you say you've found that you've kind of loved the most about this life 
you know, in, you know, forget the challenges. What what's kind of made you think, wow, you know what, this was the best thing we've ever done? Definitely where we're situated. Um, I mean, I've always loved sort of being in a, in a in a rural sort of area. I mean, Alston is about as rural as I would like to get. I I, I wouldn't want to sort of be um, away from any facilities. I mean, Alston's got sort of great facilities. So, you know, we've got it on our doorstep. But as I say, when I look out of the window and I see the wildlife and the countryside and definitely, as I say, over the last sort of 14 months, um just being sort of you know away from it all and being able to sort of walk from our doorstep which is to say walking is our biggest um passion um yeah that that has been the biggest um benefit of 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 doing this and as i say it's it's just a change of a, a total change of direction um so i you know I would definitely say moving to Alston and getting to uh, meet lots of people, uh, make new friends, living in a small community um, and getting involved, you know, sort of within community life, really. It does sound like, um, you know, obviously the the running the business side, sounds like it can be quite challenging and the long hours and, you know, the, the constant work. Um, but yeah, the flip side sounds sounds brilliant in terms of what you've achieved and, and how much you're enjoying yourselves. Yes, definitely. Yes, yeah. so as I say, we, we've had a lot of hard times, but by and large, we've we've definitely enjoyed what we've done and 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 the decision to sort of do do what we're doing. Yeah, and it, is it just yourself, your sister, and Neil running the place, or have you got other help? No, no, there's just uh, myself and Neil now. Um, a couple of years ago, my sister decided that she she couldn't quite settle. Um, she didn't particularly like the weather up here, which can, as I say, can be very challenging. Um, so she moved back down south with our blessing. Um, and we knew that we could manage. We knew it was going to be hard work running it with just the two of us. But we knew we could manage and we have a a good friend uh, who lives in Alston that when we need help, when we've got really big groups, say if we we do an evening meal for a school group and then we've got breakfast the next day, she will just come and basically sort of do the washing up for us. Um, And then we've had other people come in and sort of help us make beds um, if we've got to do a very quick turnaround. Um, But no, as I say, it's just, just me and my husband really. Um, we make a great team. <laughs> we get on really well. Um, so yeah, it's it's, um, it's just the two now. You, you mentioned obviously there's sometimes a little bit of time in the day for you to get your walking boots on and go out. Uh, do you have time at all to kind of lock the door and say, right, we're going on holiday for a week? We, if we're going on holiday, we have to go in the winter. <laughs> um, obviously, between sort of like March and. I would say towards the end of October, we can be incredibly busy. Uh, I mean, September, even though the children have gone back to school, that tends to be when we are at our busiest because um, the adults will think, right, OK, the children have gone back to school now and, you know, we'll get lots of Pennine Way walkers. Um, so, yes, our, our season is very much sort of March to October. Um, so we tend to sort of go away in February uh, and have a couple of weeks away. Um, and we, we we go down south and we go walking ourselves. But but holidays and time off in the summer is pretty much no. It, it uh, 
we can't really do that. If we have somebody that hires the whole hostel uh, for a couple of days, then obviously we, you know, we just hand it over to them and, and that will give us plenty of time to go off. But we won't sort of stay away. We will always be at the hostel. Um, but it, it, it does give us um, a, a bit more time off to sort of um, carry on, go out walking and uh, enjoy ourselves. Good to hear. What, what advice would you give to anyone listening that might be inspired to now, you know, look at buying a hostel or maybe another hospitality business? What do you think they should know before they dip their toe in the water? Do your research and, um, and know that um, running a hostel, as I say, is definitely a 24-7 job. It's not something, I mean, I think a lot of people will sort of take on bed and breakfasts and think, oh, you know, once the guests have gone, that's it. You know, we'll have all this time to ourselves until they turn up. No, it's not like that at all. You you literally are living on the job. Um, and as I say, you have to be a, a people person. You've got to sort of accept that people will turn up that may not be very nice <laughs> um and when is when it's your own business obviously you know you want to make sure that they go away happy and you know that they may have problems you may have conflicts um there's a whole host of things that sort of you you have to bear in mind so as i say don't go into owning any business and certainly not a hospitality business with sort of roast tinted glasses um accept that it's going to be very hard work day in day out and that you won't have lots of free time and you know there'll be so many things that are thrown at you um yes as i say we were very very naive when we sort of took this on and we've learned so much now i would never say don't do it not at all um, I would encourage anybody that really wants to do it that it, it, it can be a very good way of life, but it is very hard. And as I say, you you have to know what you're taking on really. And certainly as the financial side, don't expect to sort of, um, you know, think that you're going to make lots and lots of money because you're not. Yeah, 10 pence an hour, you said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Might not even be that now, but yeah. And... Um... Just in terms of, um, you know, any for anyone listening that might be in a similar position to, to what you were, you know, you're in that job, you're highly stressed, you know, it, it, it's niggling in terms of Sunday Sunday nights or coming back from holiday, feeling like you don't want to go back to work, but you know you want a big life change. What would you say to those women, you know, what, what advice or guidance might you give them? Well, I mean, obviously, it depends on their circumstances. But at the, as the people say, you only get one life and you have to balance up. You know, um, as I say, I was in a position that I, I didn't have children, so I didn't have to take those into consideration. I was very much more sort of, uh, you know, a, um, at liberty to sort of make this sort of life changing decision. Obviously, everybody's got other reasons or, you know, sort of things that would sort of uh, get in the way of being able to sort of make such a life changing um, choice. But you have to sort of balance out, you know, sort of are you living your life to work or are you working to live? Um, as I say, my circumstances gave me that those options to, to make. And I know not everybody has those options. But 
as I say, life isn't a rehearsal. So just just go for it if you are able to. If you fail, then, you know, obviously you have to sort of think of something else. But if you've never even sort of tried it, um, then you could sort of just continue in a job that makes you very, very unhappy. Um, so, no, just if, if, if you can make the choice, do it. Yeah, wise words. You know, I think, I think we're always coming back to that that factor, you know, with yourself and other guests that you do, you do only live once. We've only got one shot at this. So if you can, if you have got the opportunity to do something different and you are thinking about it, then just do it. I think that's the message that is kind of screaming out of all the podcast episodes we've done so far. Mm-hmm. What, what's your kind of long-term plan now? Obviously, you've been doing this for, for several years is it something that you're going to be doing the rest of your lives, do you think? Or? Oh, gosh, no, no, no. Um, when, when we took over, we said that we would sort of give it sort of 10 years um, and that would sort of take us up to our um, 60s. Um, but as it is a very physically demanding job, um, you know, sort of cleaning and the long hours, um, and we had a sort of a 10-year plan as in what we wanted to do to the hostel well, we've actually sort of done most of what we wanted to do within the sort of the first five years. So we've we've sort of got it to a state how you know how we wanted it. Um, and now we're sort of thinking that we will probably sort of give it another sort of like two to three years and then possibly think about sort of selling it and doing something else. My husband has a crazy idea of wanting to walk the coast of Britain. Oh. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, so that's, you know, that's an even more bigger life changing um, thing if that if that goes ahead. Um, but yes, as I say, we said we'd probably sort of do a sort of another two to three years. Um, and then that would sort of uh, we would then sort of probably sort of think about moving on. And, and as I say, either buying somewhere and sort of going into semi retirement or, as I say, strapping on our walking boots and um, going for a very, very, very long walk. That is so exciting. And I, I remember um, following a lady who was doing that. I think she was doing it solo and left her husband at home. So that might give you some ideas as well. But <laughs> Well, it could, it could be Neil going off on his own and leaving me at home. But um, but yeah, and as I say, that's that's just sort of another sort of little um, little pipe dream. Because when before we did this, I mean, long distance walking is what we did. Um, as I say, that's what sort of, you know, sort of put us into a hostile environment. And whenever we did a long long distance walk we would always sort of say oh we don't need to go home and you know watch television sort of seven hours a night we you know we've managed to live with for two weeks with just what's on our backs and everything so as I say that you know that sort of made us realize that um you know there are other things to do than you know sort of working sort of full time you know and that's that's obviously sown another seed for us for the future oh you see the seed is sown now (laughs) (laughs) Linda, um, where can people find out about uh, Alston Hostel? You know, you're on social media, website, that kind of thing. We are, yes, we've got our own website. It's alstonyouthhostel.co.uk. We have a Facebook page. I've got a Twitter uh, page. Um, You can just Google us and we will pop up. Or, uh, as I say, we're part of the Independent Hostel and also the YHA. So if you just Google Alston Youth Hostel, we will come up in some form or or other. Um, We're we're pretty much out there and, you know, we we like to sort of um, spread the word to, you know, to sort of encourage people to go hostelling. So uh, we we like to think we're very good ambassadors for, for hostelling. 
Fantastic. Well, we'll share those links uh, with our listeners on our show notes. And, you know, I'll just wrap up by saying thank you so, so much for giving us your valuable free time today, given what we know about your lifestyle now and for talking to us. I think your your lifestyle change is absolutely fascinating and we're really grateful that you've shared your story with us today. You're very welcome. It's, it's been a pleasure. And as I say, I, I hope I've inspired and I hope I haven't uh, put anybody off. Um, but uh, it, yeah, I just it's nice to sort of give a realistic view on uh, on on things. No, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you once again for listening to our podcast. We hope that Linda's stories inspired you to maybe try something completely different in your life. Again, you know, I know that I say this every single episode, but I really love this one. I think um, the fact that Linda went from a job in the civil service to Googling how to buy or where to find a youth hostel to buy with no hospitality experience between, you know, herself, her sister and her husband, but they went and did it anyway and they're still doing it and still loving it. I think this story is just fantastic. Loved it. For me, it's that giving up the, like, we're both in very secure jobs. We'll have a job for, you know, as long as we don't do anything silly, obviously. We'll have a job forever. And they were obviously in that position as well. And just that giving it up and taking a leap of faith and actually enjoying and thriving in what they're doing i know the salaries are not fantastic if you consider their hourly rate as such but then you look at the excitement and the actual life that they get in yeah it's obvious that their passion for you know hill walking and being in the outdoors is a great combination with this role and despite working all the hours it's obvious that they're they're both still really really enjoying it and and like you said thriving so yeah credit to them living the dream absolutely So if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd be very grateful if you could share it with your friends and family so we can reach more people with these amazing stories. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. And if you enjoy the stories that we're sharing with you and would like to support us by buying us a coffee, then you can visit our profile on buymeacoffee.com forward slash the Mahojos. The link is in the notes. You can also follow our own adventures by connecting with our website and social media channels. You can find those links in the notes as well. Feel free to reach out and say hi. We'd love to know what you think of our podcast so far and where you're listening from. And also if there's any guests that you think that we should actually have on the show. So that's it for now. Look forward to connecting with you on the next show. Take care and stay safe. (laughs) 